All right, so we are just speeding through this study of First John at a breakneck, a breakneck, uh, neck break pace. But I, I wanted, I wanted, I wanted to take time in this very, in the very beginning, uh, because I think it's something that's very important for us to 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 see to understand. And so we've, um, we're getting ready to look at the, what I consider, uh, one of the, the first major section of 1st John. Here, verses 6 through all the way down to, um, oh, all the way down to verse 11. And so we're getting ready to look at that. And so on your study guide, uh, we've considered the sincerity of one's relationship with God. And that we are to be honest enough with ourselves in regards to our, I, I put down shortcomings. You could put sin, you know, uh, shortcomings so that we will be sincere with God in our relationship with Him. And honest, honesty in relationship is, is, is important. I mean, whether it's a, a, a human relationship, Especially so with a divine relationship with God. You're not fooling God. So, you know, why, why play the game? Why play the game? And so many people do. Uh, Joshua 24:14 says, um, Now therefore fear the Lord and serve Him in sincerity and in truth. And that is a constant theme throughout the scriptures. And put away the gods which your father served on the other side of the flood and in Egypt and serve ye the Lord God. So, on your study guide, instead of playing at church, okay, uh, we should desire a reality in our relationship with God. So instead of playing church, you know, this is something serious. And this reality in our relationship with God is, is possible only when we understand, as the blank, that we must be sincere in our hearts towards God. And that's why I, I drew this heart up here with the stethoscope. Um, I think it's valuable for us to do a heart check. To do a heart check. And uh, when you do a heart check, when you're, you know... Um, and allow God's word to speak with you. Believe me, it's 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 a very profitable thing. Uh, the point of the sincerity of the believer and their relationship with the truth. Uh, it's challenging. It is challenging. And we talked about that last week about a contrary walk, right? Unless two are in agreement, they can't walk together. And so we talked a little bit about having a contrary walk. And quite frankly, that happens to everybody. It just does. It, it happens to everybody. There isn't, there isn't a perfect one in the group. Except for me, of course. But no, there's not a perfect one in the group, and, and we're all gonna, we're all gonna have issues. And the Bible's very clear about the internal warfare that, that wages between the old man and the new man. First uh, John one six says, "If we say that we have fellowship with Him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth." And I think if we're honest with ourselves, we've all been there at one time or another, or we may be there right now. But it's it's a reality. 
Uh, this is one of the reasons why, as a church, we observe the Lord's Supper. And that might be the blank last week about the Lord's Supper. <laughs> That's probably meant for this lesson. But uh, that's the reason why we have the Lord's... I should say one of the reasons why we have the Lord's Supper. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, uh, 7-8, Paul writes, Purge out therefore the old leaven, that ye may be, that ye may be a new lump as ye are unleavened. You know, in the Old Testament, whenever the Passover came around, that's, that's one of the things they did was purge out the leaven in the household. So that tells me that's something that we have to do periodically. Okay? Uh, For even Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us. Verse 8, Therefore let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, neither with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of, guess what, sincerity and truth. That's what God's looking for. He's looking for sincerity and truth in the believer. Uh, we all have a tendency to attempt to excuse ourselves, you know. Uh, we have a tendency to pass over the seriousness of our sin or our shortcoming. See what I did there? Oh, yeah, whatever. But God desires to have fellowship with folks who are sincere and who are honest. I mean, he knows we mess up, all right? He knows we mess up. And all he's looking for from us is, is a contrite heart when we do. You know, be honest enough to say, yes, Lord, I messed up and I'm sorry. That's what he's looking for. That's, that's what he's looking for. And if you really desire to know the joy of fellowship with God, don't play the game. Don't play the game. Don't try to sweep it under the rug. Be open, be honest, be in agreement with God. Let Him deal with the old leaven and that old wickedness that's in everybody's heart, according to His Word, in sincerity and truth. Just just be honest before God about it. Also, you know, as far as the Lord's Supper, don't wait until once a quarter <laughs> to do this. Alright? Don't wait once a This, you know... Uh, Make it, make it, uh, just a, you know, a part of your relationship with God. You know, always have that mindset of, of doing a heart check. Always have that mindset of doing a heart check, uh, cause our fellowship with God is extremely important. Extremely important. Something else, uh, uh don't, don't walk around on pins and needles all the time either. You know, there are some people who are so wrapped up with, they're so concerned about, oh, you know, did I offend God? You know, they get themselves all tied up in this guilt trip. And don't do that either. God doesn't want that either. He's not looking for that. He's not looking for his kids to walk on pins and needles around him. That's not what he's looking for. Uh, it, you know, a good example of that, just, just read in the Gospels how Jesus interacted with his disciples. His disciples were, (laughs) I mean, especially Peter. I mean, these guys were just up front and honest with Jesus, and Jesus dealt with these men where they needed to be dealt with. And that's that's what God's looking for. That's, That's what God's looking for. So on your study guide... It's when the sin, it's when the saint begins to rationalize sin. Rationalize is the word. Uh, when you start rationalizing the sin, your sin, that somehow salves your conscience. 
And even though we may remain in darkness contrary to being in light, we make ourselves comfortable, is the word. In the darkness, we permit ourselves, and we don't want that. We don't want to be comfortable in our own darkness. Continuing on the study guide, when the issues of the heart, that's your blank, when the issues of the heart is exposed by walking in the light of God's word, by that open and sincere walk, then we begin to deal with these matters through confession, and yes, I'm going to say that dirty old word, repentance. It's in this way we grow spiritually, and it's this way we please God, and we come to know the joy of fellowship with the Father and the Son. Alright, so we, we practice it. Uh, and uh, their sincerity of heart, we you know we love God enough to 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 be honest with Him. Uh, be be free from all pretense, be free from all deceit, be free from all hypocrisy. Like I said, you know, don't play the game. Don't play the game. God's not looking for game players. There's too many of those running around. And when you are sincere before God, then that's where you're really going to flourish spiritually. And it's, it's going to become evident. You know, and this is the thing that I've discovered. It may not become evident to you, but it will to others. It will to others. So our light shines best when we abide in the light that God is. Alright, so let's, uh, let's look, go on. And I've titled this section, What Does This Look Like? What Does This Look Like? So as we contemplate what the Bible says about our fellowship with God in relation to the Word of God, the light of God, uh, we want to we want to understand. We want to you know what does this mean to be walking with God in sincerity and truth? And there's a lot that could be covered on that. But turn to First Peter chapter one, or is it is it on? Do I have it on? Um... Okay, good. Let's look at First Peter chapter one. Um, it says here, Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. He says, As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts and your ignorance, but he, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation, because it is written, be holy, for I am holy. Now there's a whole lot here in these, in these, in this passage. And, um, a careful study of what this passage is talking about would be very, very beneficial. But the one thing that I want you folks to focus on is what he says here. But as he which hath called you is holy, holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation Uh, to walk in the light is a walk of holiness to walk in the light is a walk of holiness now I'm I'm kind of pleased that I didn't hear a big gasp (laughs) because um, don't get hung up on the word holy okay uh, don't let this deter you. Don't let it depress you. Don't let it scare you. Uh, especially don't let it keep you from your uh, walk with God, walking in holiness to the Lord. 
Uh, you know, the world has its conception of holy that is not biblical. And unfortunately, that the world's conception of holy has tainted uh, many of the minds of believers. Okay, it's, it's not a biblical uh, conception of what holy is all about. Um, some, you know, the world, they look at holiness as, as uh, some, uh, something saintly that only special people can attain, right? Or sometimes they might even use it in a, deri- a derisive means as an insult. Oh, aren't you holy? Who do you think you are? You know, that's, that's also out there, you know. Um, so don't get your definition from the world in regards to what holiness is all about. Um, you know, the world looks at someone who is holy, someone who's dressed up in a certain way, <laughs> wearing expensive silks and has funny hats. Or they look at somebody who's holy who's sitting on ashes with paint all over their faces. You know, that's, that's, not, a, that's not what holiness is all about. Uh, the word holy that Peter is talking about here, uh, it also doesn't apply to sinless perfection. Does not apply to sinless perfection. You know, sometimes people get in their in their minds. You know, well, if, if I'm going to be holy, that means I can never ever sin. It doesn't mean sinless perfection. Uh, Jesus Christ is our righteousness. That's important for us to know. He's the one that makes us perfect in the eyes of a holy God. Um, in, in fact, in my morning devotion, I was reading in Philippians, Philippians three nine. It says uh, he says um, this is Paul writing. He says, "And be found in Him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law." But that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. Okay, so Jesus Christ is the one who makes us righteous in the eyes of God. And so when you think of holiness, get out of your mind the list of do this and don't do that. Alright, get that out of your mind. If I don't do this, then God's going to whack me. But if I do this, then God's going to bless me. That's not biblical holiness. That's legalism. That's legalism. Hebrews 7.19 says, For the law made nothing perfect. So what does that just tell you? That your list of rules of do's and don't? That's not going to make you perfect. It might in your own head, but it won't. He says here, For the law made nothing perfect, but the bringing in of a better hope did, by the which we draw on to God. Now, who is that better hope? Jesus Christ. Right? This better hope is the Lord Jesus Christ, and as we draw near to Him in sincerity and truth, then His life will live through our life. And that's key. Okay, that's key. Right there. So, uh, I don't have this on your study guide, but get this down. A true holy life is a life that emulates Christ's life. A true holy life is a life that emulates, E-M-U-L-A-T-E-S, Christ's 
life. The more you're like Christ, right, the better it is. That's what Paul said in Galatians 2.20. He says, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me, and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So on your study guide, and we're going to talk a little bit about this, this word holy. Uh, the word holy defines something or someone consecrated. Or you could use the word dedicated unto God. Consecrated or dedicated unto God. Both seem, you know, they're both pretty much the same thing. And consecrated simply means set apart for a specific purpose. Under the Old Testament, Aaron and his sons were consecrated or dedicated unto priesthood by God. Right? Uh, This included everything connected with this office. Everything from the garments that they wore, uh, to the furniture, to the tools, everything pertaining to the office of the priesthood and all of its service, all of that was consecrated unto the Lord. All of that was dedicated unto God. Exodus 28, 40-41 says, and for, and for Aaron's sons thou shalt make coats, and thou shalt make for them girdles and bonnets, shalt thou make for them for glory and for beauty, and thou shalt put them upon Aaron thy brother and his sons with him, and shall anoint them and consecrate them and sanctify them, that they may minister unto me in the priest's office. Okay? So, what was it that consecrated these, these men and these garments and everything according to the priest? What was it that consecrated all of this unto God? It was a blood sacrifice. If you read through the Old Testament, especially Exodus and Leviticus, it was a blood sacrifice that consecrated everything. Practically everything was sprinkled with a blood sacrifice. Hebrews 9.22 says, And almost all things are by the law purged with blood, and without shedding of blood is no remission. So everything from Aaron and his boys to the altar, everything to the mercy seat, everything was sprinkled in this blood of the innocent. So on your study guide... In relation to the born-again believer, the we being redeemed is the word by Christ's blood. The we, us, are now consecrated unto God. And God now has full claim on the we who are redeemed. So the two words is redeemed and consecrated. Jesus Christ shed blood consecrates us unto God. So consecrated simply means... Dedicated, sanctified, set apart. And I'm going to get into that a little bit more deeper. Oh, so you haven't gotten those two blanks? Uh, redeemed and consecrated. Consecrated simply means blank blank for a specific purpose. Yeah, I've already gone by that. What is that? Set apart. Oh, okay. Set apart. And then the next one is in relation to the born-again believer. Redeemed, yeah. consecrated. Okay. okay. 
So due to our faith in Christ's work on the cross and being the propitiation for our sin, we are now set apart from the sin, from the world, from the devil, and even from our own flesh unto God. Okay? We are set apart unto God. Set apart unto God. Uh, I don't know if this is on your study guide, but the word holy in 1 Peter 1.15 is the word hagios. Uh, this word hagios, Strong's number 40, is also translated as saint. <laughs> so guess what? You're a saint. You're a saint. 1 Corinthians 14.33 For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all the all churches of the saints. Of the saints. Also on your study guide, the same word translated as saint is the is the root word is the root word of the word sanctified sanctified 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 2 under the church of God which is at Corinth to them that are sanctified hegiazo in Christ Jesus called to be saints hegios with all that in every place call upon the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both theirs and ours. So, on your study guide, a saint is one who is sanctified, set apart in Christ before God. Through Jesus Christ, who by his blood has sanctified us unto God, and by the Holy Ghost given unto us, which carries out the sanctification by his sealing. His sealing. S-E-A-L-I-N-G. Romans fifteen sixteen that I should be the minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, ministering the gospel of God, that the offering up of the Gentiles might be acceptable, being sanctified by the Holy Ghost. So he, we are sanctified by the Holy Ghost in his sealing. See, the issue with the majority of believers is not that they are not holy before God, because they are holy before God because of the work of Jesus Christ. The issue with the majority of the believers who are holy before God is that they are living contrary to who they are in Christ. They're living contrary to who they are in Christ. Ephesians 1.13 says, In whom ye also trusted after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that ye believed ye were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. The anointing that John writes about in 1 John 2.27 speaks of this sanctification of the believer unto God. This anointing is one of the many assurances that John provides the believer concerning their relationship with God. Okay? And their fellowship with God. Take a look at 1 John chapter 2. We're going to get there eventually. But in 1 John 2.27, But the anointing which ye have received of him abideth in you, and you need not that any man teach you, but as the same anointing teaches you of all things, and is truth, and is no lie, and even as it hath taught you, ye shall abide in him. And now, little children, abide in him, 
that when he shall appear, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. Look at verse 29. For if ye know that he is righteous, ye know that everyone that doeth righteousness is born of him. See, that's the problem with the majority of the Christians. They're not living according to who they are in Christ. Righteous. Righteous. So on your study guide, this is the value of sound doctrine, is the blank. Not simply to know it, squirrel it in a way in your mind, or pass a test at HBI or whatever you're doing, all right? But to allow sound doctrine to have, and here's the blank, free course in one's life and provide the assurance of being in a right relationship with the Father. Free course is your, is your blank. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Okay, why though? Why? What is the reason for this? Well, he says in verse 17 that the man of God may be perfect, mature, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. We are to live in accordance to the doctrine. What God's word says of us rather than live in discordance to the doctrine contrary to what God's word says of us. We have to live in accordance to the doctrine. That's the clear expectation of the believer. That's the subject of the many exhortations that you read in the epistles. Is to walk according to the doctrine. Walk according to what God's word says of you. Says of you. Titus 2.10 says, Not purloining, which means don't embezzle or don't steal. But showing all good fidelity, this is the important part, that they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. We are to adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. You see, the, Aaron, the, the, the priesthood under Aaron, they had their garments, right? And there's other religions that have their garments, Right? They've got their garments that they wear. We have Christ. And when we walk in His light in accordance to the doctrine of our faith, then we are adorned properly. That's our adornment. I don't have to wear a fancy robe embroidered in gold with a funny pointy hat. As long as I am walking in accordance to the doctrine, then I am properly adorned. You understand what I'm saying? If you're allowing Christ to live his life through you, then you are properly adorned. Properly adorned. Romans 13 12 through 14 says, The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness. And let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk honestly as in the day, not in rioting and drunkenness, not in chambering and wantonness, not in strife and envying, but put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ. 
and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. Uh, Pastor Brian once said a while back, and I thought this, I thought this was really, really good. He says, when we die to self, the flesh becomes, and this is your blank, transparent. And the glory of Christ shines through. I thought, wow, Brian, that's good. What was that scripture from Romans? Romans 13, 12 through 14. When we die to self, the flesh becomes transparent and the glory of Christ shines through. That's what we want. That's what we want. It's not what one wears. It's not what one eats or doesn't eat. Okay? It's Christ in us that makes us holy. It's when His light shines through us. Being born again by the Spirit, we're members of Christ's body, the church. We're sanctified in Him. That's the reason why we are called saints. It's not because of somebody proclaiming me as such I don't need a college of cardinals to say that Jeff Trude is now a saint God says I'm a saint and the expectation is for me to live like a saint is to live like a saint Returning back to 1 Peter 1.14, he says, As obedient children, that's that relationship, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts in your ignorance, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. So on your works, on your study guide, the word is conversation. That's your blank. And we understand this to mean not only the way a person speaks, right, when we carry on a conversation, But more specifically, one's, this is your blank, manner of life. That which typifies one's conduct and behavior and lifestyle. This is where we address living what the Bible says of us. Years and years ago, in fact it was back in 1981... I was a fairly brand new believer. Maybe maybe two or three years old in the Lord. And the church that I was attending at the time, uh, the pastor invited a man by the name of Manly Beasley to come speak to the church. And he was a, one of those old-time southern gentlemen. Do you remember him, Lisa? Old-time southern gentleman. Spoke that, I love it, that southern drawl that just kind of draws you in, you know. And uh, he made a big impact on me. And one of the things that I remember him saying is this. He says, the measure of success in a man is that what is said of him in the Bible is true of him. That knocked my socks off. What is said of the Bible, what is said of him in the Bible is true of him. That's the measure of success. I mean, we can know a man is a farmer by what he talks about, right? The dirt under his fingernails, right? What he does for a living, his priorities, his concerns, his ambitions, you know, the crops. Uh, one of the things that the farmers talk about a lot is the weather, 
right? We know he's a farmer because of his lifestyle, his conversation. We know a thief <laughs> for the same reason, don't we? We know that there used to be a man that used to come to this church, and I, and he was no good. I mean, this man was a con man. He was taking advantage of people in the church. He was doing shady deals and costing people money. And finally, it caught up with him, and we booted him out. But it was the way the man's conversation was that he was identified as such. You know, we're the temple of the Holy Ghost, according to 1 Corinthians six nineteen through 20 We're also called children of light. We're also called sons of God, servants of God, soldiers. How's your conversation going? How's your conduct? Is your life reflecting any of these things that the Bible says about us? And that's something I ask myself all the time. You have to do a heart check. When you read your Bible, just don't read your Bible. Do a heart check. Am I, you know, is this is this me here? Or what can I do to make this me? You understand what I'm saying? The measure of success in a man is that what is said of him in the Bible is true of him. And that's where the true test of sincerity kicks in, whether we're serious about this fellowship that John writes about or not. You know, are we willing to say, whoops, yep, Lord, you're right. Or, wow, Lord, thank you for making this a reality in my life. Strengthen that. 1 John 2.29, if you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone that doeth righteousness is born of him. So on your study guide, the conversation of the we is a life of righteousness. A life of righteousness. Just maintaining that right relationship with God. Luke 23:47. Now when the centurion saw what was done, he glorified God, saying, Certainly this was a righteous man. Now who is he talking about? Jesus hanging on the cross. So on your study guide, as Jesus lived and spoke and had his conversation before men when he came as the incarnate light of the world, so we also should aspire to do likewise. 1 John 2, 6, to me, that's the key verse of this entire epistle. He that saith he abideth in him ought himself also so to walk even as he walked. Folks, this is beyond keeping rules. (laughs) Okay? Uh, This is beyond keeping rules. This is beyond, you know, meeting certain sacraments or ticking off boxes of sanctified behavior, of dotting your I's and, and crossing your T's. This is attitude of heart. This is a way of life. It's who you are in Christ. 
It's the, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me type of life. That's what it is. And when you live that kind of life, guess what, guys? You don't have to worry about keeping all of your do's and don'ts. You just don't. You don't worry about things like that. In our discipleship, and this is on your study guide, in our, in our discipleship lessons, what is it that we tell people? It's not a religion, but rather a relationship. It's a relationship. Such a relationship between a holy father and his sanctified children, whom he calls saints, whether we behave like it or not, that his word and his spirit changes us from what we once were to who we are in Christ. That's what God's all about. Restoring in us the lost image of Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. 1 Corinthians 6.11 And such were some of you. But ye are washed, ye are sanctified, ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. And such were some of you. You know, I used to be a blasphemer, a pot smoker, a drug taker. You know, I used to drink and swear and use the Lord's name in vain. But such were some of you. Right? Jesus Christ came into my heart. I became a new creature and those things just fell away. Things are still falling away. And they will until I receive a glorified body in heaven. Now, I, I, I'm hammering on this so much because I want us to, to start getting in our minds because if we don't get this in our minds, when we start looking through verses 6 through 10, some of us are going to struggle with what John is saying here. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. You know, we need to get a grip on, yeah, there's that potential in me. Also, we have to be careful of those who seduce us, because they're out there. So on your study guide, false doctrine will always lead into false living for Christ. And adhering to a non-biblical counterfeit Christianity. That's what's being offered today. And many have bought into it. Many in this church have bought into it. In this very building, many have bought into it. On your study guide, being saints, sanctified by the blood of the Lamb... If our manner of conversation is the blank, is one that is contrary to what God has revealed about himself, as well as about us and his word, then can we truthfully say, is the word, that we are in agreement with God and that we are in fellowship with him? When we start looking through this section, we're going to have to start asking ourselves some very difficult questions. 
If you really desire to be in fellowship. Now again, I'm not talking about salvation. Alright, so put that out of your minds. And I don't want anybody in here to question their salvation either. That's not my intention. Our salvation is is eternally secure in Christ. Hebrews 9, verses 11 through 12 says, But Christ being come a high priest of good things to come, by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. So if you trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior, you have eternal redemption. Never lose it. Never lose it. We are forever the children of the Father accepted in the Beloved. Ephesians 1.6 What John is addressing and admonishing us in this epistle is our relationship. How serious do you take your relationship with God? That's the issue. That's the issue. First Thessalonians 4.3 says, For this is the will of God, even your sanctification, being set apart, that ye should abstain from fornication, that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor. First John 3.2 Beloved, now are we the sons of God. It doth not appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Verse 3 And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself even as he is pure. Are you allowing the doctrine of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ to work in your life and bring about this purifying effect in your life? With the lost and the unredeemed, the question they have to ask is, what must I do to be saved? What must I do to be saved? As believers, the questions that we we must ask is, is the quality of my fellowship with God in agreement with the Father as it should be? Is my fellowship with God as it should be? You know, sometimes this happens in marriages. The husband and the wife are not honest, they're not sincere. They don't ask these questions, is my relationship with my spouse as it should be? And if it's not, what do I need to do to correct it? It's the same thing with our Father in Heaven. Same thing with our Father in Heaven. In the eyes of the world, holiness is obtained through deprivation. Fasting. You know, don't drink caffeine. That kind of stuff. But for the believer, holiness is by appropriation. Appropriation. Galatians 5.24 And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lust. Verse 25 If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Galatians 5.16 This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. We appropriate the doctrines to our lives, allowing the Holy Spirit to take the Word of God and make it alive in us. 
So it's not deprivation, it's appropriation. Appropriation. We appropriate what God has provided for us. The reality is we live in an immoral environment. We live in a world system that globally through its religions, its politics, its society, they operate contrary to the holy nature that God is. And we know it does. And what breaks my heart is this, is that the church is falling more and more and more under its influence and adopting its terminologies. Adopting its morality. Adopting its music, its teachings, its popular messages of affirmation, its social, its social issues. It's diverting the church from what its true mission is. Now the mission of the church is to get rich or be successful. Have that bigger home, that flashier car. Seek personal happiness. Have a better self-image. That's not the mission of the church. John recognized the same thing in his own day. He lived in the the same kind of environment that we live in today, folks. There's nothing new under the sun. It's just presented in a different package. John said in 1 John 5.19, We know that we are of God and the whole world lieth in wickedness. Nothing has changed. And I'm going to shock you. It's not going to get any better. It's not going to get any better. As, uh, <laughs> as Bible believers, we face the challenge of staying true to the faith. Against the tide of the uh, moral Gnosticism and its revisionist teachings. Come on, guys. Look what's going on today. Look, look what's going on today. I'm going to come out on a limb. What was it, 20 years ago? For two men or two women to get married was just absolutely unthinkable. Rightly so. But today, we've got churches that are built upon that false teaching. A while back, it was wrong to kill an unborn child. We're killing them by the millions and selling their body parts. Marriage. I mean, it used to be if somebody got divorced, they kind of kept it under wraps. Today, marriage is one of those antiquated ideas that most of the people don't even bother with. Our walk with God. Yeah. Yeah. The way we handle our money, everything. Anyway, I can go down a dark path. Our walk with God is to be in His light. This walk is a righteous walk in His truth, tempered by love. Don't miss that. 
Because so many of my brothers and sisters are so righteous, but they have no love. They have absolutely no love. Say it again. Which which part? <laughs> okay. Our walk with God should be a watch a righteous walk in His truth, tempered by love. Tempered by love. It's always been the expectation of the Father for His children. That's nothing new, folks. That's nothing new. I'm almost done, Alicia. I know, you've got to be out there. And you know what our biggest threat is? And I know you guys know this because I've hammered it and hammered it. You know where our biggest threat comes from? Yeah, it's inside, the, inside these walls. That's what Paul said in Acts 20, 29-30. For this I know, for I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock also of your own selves shall men arise speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. And we're seeing that in spades. Um, the word draw away, uh, the first time you find that word draw away, is in Matthew 26, 51 in the, in, in the Greek, I should say. I get my strongs out and I look this stuff up. Matthew 26, 51, And behold, one of them which were with Jesus stretched out his hand and drew his sword. Now who was that? That was Peter. And struck a servant of the high priests and smote off his ear. That's the first time you see that, that word, uh, draw away or drew. In that, in that particular, in that, using that particular word. Now, what is God's word likened unto? A double-edged sword. A double-edged sword. Hebrews 4.12. And the issue of the Laodicean church, according to 2 Timothy 4, 3-4, is that we've got itchy ears. Now, okay, this may be a stretch. Bear with me. We've got a lot of pastors and preachers and teachers out there wielding a sword that is not the sword and they're lopping off people's itching ears with with lies, half-truths, poor doctrine. That's why it's so important that we hang on to this book. So important. So on your study guide, and this is where I'm going to close, the false doctrine that has influenced the church concerning holiness of the believer has manifested as the word itself by two extremes. And next week we'll talk about the two extremes. Okay, so any questions or comments before we close out?